Welcome to The Journey, a podcast series by Christ Life Ministries, focused on renewing, restoring, and equipping leaders. Well, hello. It's good to be back with you. This is Greg. I'm the director of Christ Life Ministries, and we're on a journey together. We're on God's journey towards renewal and restoration, towards really the, 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 the Romans 12 transformation thinking of our doing of our living and it's just encouraging to know that God is in it with us I mean he's not left us alone here he's not somehow measuring our value our worth on how well we can perform Christ's (laughs) likeness no man we have Christ dwelling with all of his perfection very depths of who we are. As we start our conversation today, let's just start it before God's throne. Lord, we just acknowledge your presence. There's really nowhere we can go where your spirit isn't present. So grateful for you. You're the only one that can change your life. You're so willing to step in and make the changes necessary for us to slowly but surely become wholehearted followers of you. And you're kind. You, it's almost as if you turn your blind eye to all of our foolishness and imperfections. It's not that you don't discipline us, but you just are kind. And it's truly your kindness that leads us to repentance, Lord. It causes us to, to see how good home is and want to return over and over and over again. So I'm asking for myself and all who are listening today, God, would you give us our heart's desire? Would you allow us to be a a Psalm 27 people who hunger after one thing, to dwell in your house, to abide in your home, and to gaze upon your beauty? And then I'm asking Jesus, as we see you correctly, as we see you for who you are, that you allow us, you would allow us to see ourselves accurately, and that you would form in us true humility. And I thank you. Okay, let's put the track shoes on. <laughs> Seems like I say this every week that we have a lot to cover. We do. Uh, but before we launch into a new conversation, let's go back and and just highlight. The most important takeaways from our last session together. Remember, we're talking about the the notion of leaving our chaos, coming out of chaos into the presence of the true Jesus. Unfortunately, <laughs> last session, we focused only on the chaos. Do you remember? We used the iceberg metaphor, the, that word picture. And remember, with an iceberg, only 10% is above the water level. It's 10% is in the public I and and that 10% in our lives is more often than not the roles that we play. But beneath the surface were two big things that we focused on. First and foremost, right underneath the surface are our wounds, our distortions, disruptive emotion, and dysfunctional lifestyle choices. I guess the dysfunctional lifestyle choices make it into the public eye, unfortunately. <laughs> but all the rest, more often than not, out of an attempt to save face is 
kept beneath the surface of our lives. And even below that is a is an insidious pressure. It's the Romans 12 pattern of this world. It's this, it's this worldly system that manifests in a primary messaging, which is what you are is not enough, and a primary valuing system, which is that you're valuable according to what you produce, what you own, and what people say about you. But we didn't end that session there. We asked a question, what are our solutions for chaos that actually <laughs> come from chaos? What are our independent ways of trying to fix the chaos in our lives? And we had four of them. Do you remember? Uh, number one is that we just go about working harder. We just knuckle down. We, we look at our organizer and we figure out how to do more. Number two is we construct a better mask. We try to hide behind our performance or in the business world, woo. <laughs> but remember, uh, if you wear a mask, the mask is the only thing that's appreciated and loved. Number three is that we succumb to uh, the temptation to use people as a means to our own end. And finally, really worst on the list, is that we try to use Jesus as a means to our own end. And, and really, using Jesus as a means to our own end, we do that when we attempt to seek God to help us to perform according to the pattern of this world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can only laugh because I look back at my life and I see a lot of my seeking had that as its motivation to be good enough, to be filled with the power and anointing, if you will, of God, to be followable, to get good distance between my damage and uh, my need to perform today. Well, uh, so we've talked about all these these pressures. Let's Let's launch into a new conversation today because we've left out one huge factor regarding the pressure, the tension, a source of disruptive emotion in our lives. Remember, the pressure of the pattern of this world working its way into our wounds, distortions, disruptive emotion, and dysfunctional lifestyle choices is bad, especially when it's sandwiched <laughs> between our roles. Our roles provide enough pressure. But there's another area that, that we haven't talked about, and it's the kingdom of darkness. Now, the funny thing is, with the leaders that, that we work with at Christ Life, often people have very different experiences growing up in the church. Some of the leaders that I work with grew up in uh, traditions that almost never talk about the influence of the evil one, the kingdom of darkness. In fact, they would believe that they would have a better chance of getting bit by a shark, <laughs> maybe even bit by a shark in the Great Lakes, than personally attacked by a demonic force. On the other hand, I have leaders that were raised in a church tradition where every possible problem that they experienced in life had its origination in the demonic. I mean, everything from running out of gas on the way to work to <laughs> the hair that they found in their Reuben sandwich at lunch. <laughs> Praise God for his word. God provides a, a balance, doesn't he? God's word shows us the way to walk, the, the way to, to move forward in life. And praise God for, for the men and women that God has touched, given insight to and, and direction to, to help us. 
I'm going to give you three of those people this morning that have been tremendously helpful for, to me. Now, some of you might have theological disagreements with Watchman Nee. He is the first person that we're going to use, quote, this morning or if this afternoon, if it, it's the afternoon when you're listening to this podcast. But this quote in particular has been tremendously helpful for me to understand, to make sense of the way that the enemy attempts to derail our lives. He says this, Satan's temptations are not designed primarily to make us do something particularly sinful, but merely to cause us to act in our own energy. Do you get that? Holy moly. That, that as we even in more mainline denominations talk about the evil one, usually we're bringing up sensationalized workings of the evil one, the sex trafficking trade, which is horrible and very real, wars and rumors of wars, the cancer diagnosis that, that someone in the body has received. But Watchman Nee really gets beneath the surface of all of that to the enemy's heart, which is he will do whatever it takes to bump us, move us, manipulate us, coerce us into living an unaided life. Living according to our own potential and strength instead of the very Galatians 2.20 filling of the life of God, the, the, the working of God within the very heart of who we are, the, the life of God living out the calling that God's placed in our lives. So that's the first area. The second comes from Jonathan Edwards, which I, my gosh, man, the longer I live, the more I appreciate the, not only the intellect, but just the insight God gave this man. This is in Religious Affections. Jonathan Edwards says this regarding the workings of the kingdom of darkness. Scripture makes it clear that Satan cannot read our hearts. So it follows that the only way that he can affect our souls is through our imaginations by exciting them to produce false images of external reality. Do you get that? It should remind you of some of the conversations that we've had about lenses. That, that another way that the enemy works, the kingdom of darkness works against God's children is to form up in our imaginations false images of external realities. I mean, how many times has that happened to you? Of course, some of these <laughs> incorrect perspectives flow directly from our unprocessed wounds and distortions. But what Jonathan Edwards is suggesting is that some of those are formed by the, the attack or the working of the kingdom of darkness, that there is an external reality we just are excited in our imaginations and see that, interpret that incorrectly. As you can imagine, that could create all sorts of problems. Okay, a third area that we need to be aware of regarding the working of the kingdom of darkness against us in our lives is all about diversions. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy 
is offered us. Could it be that another primary strategy of the evil one is to use amusements, pastimes, games, passions in our lives in an attempt to form in us a life that's so full that we're distracted from discovering all that God is and all that we are in him. I'll tell you right now, I've experienced that in my own life. It's almost like uh, looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner and and you're hovering around the hors d'oeuvre table and you fill yourself up with lesser things and you have no room to enjoy uh, the main meal. Boy, I'm hungry right now. I could I could use a little <laughs> turkey mashed potatoes. Boy, that would be good. I'd have to take a nap. But so the kingdom of darkness, the the push towards independence, the the working in our imaginations at times to cause us to 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 perceive life incorrectly. And then the working to use diversions, entertainment, passion, games to stuff our life and interfere with us discovering all that God is and all that we are in him are ways that, again, the enemy works against the working of God in us. And all of this together, the the pressure to live according to the pattern of this world the the wounds, distortions, disruptive emotion, dysfunctional lifestyle choices, the roles that we play often independently, the 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 attacking and the the working, the battering of the kingdom of darkness, and then also our own attempts to fix chaos create this mess. A lot of the leaders that I work with come right in the middle of that mess. They feel like they they are working too hard uh, for too long, two courts low. They're just worn out. Engines knocking. And yet there's a way of escape. And let me just tell you, that way of escape isn't medicating. It's not just turning to something that will temporarily reduce the pressure. That, my friend, is the way that we form addictive patterns, whether that that release comes from pornography, alcohol, drug use, gambling, food, unhealthy relationships, even unhealthy relationships that aren't sexually oriented, like a codependent type of way of doing life. Those things can provide a moment of solace and peace. But if you were to look out over the rest of your life and see the patterns that will form by turning to anything other than God to to bring true satisfaction, we'll see that, that those decisions cause us to become bankrupt. They get us up on the sand bar of life. So the question is, how do we exit this chaos and enter the presence of the true Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to go there right now. If you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. You know this passage. It's probably one that you've memorized sometime in life. It says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when you're working with a leader that's just barely keeping his life afloat or her life afloat, that's just bombarded on every side, sometimes the simplest solutions are the best. Jesus' first solution, his first a bit of advice regarding how to exit chaos and enter into his true presence is to simply come to him. It's an invitation that he's offering you right now as you're listening to this podcast. He says, come to me. Now, the crazy thing is, is that in our chaos, he's often the last one that we come to. We come to work early. We're constantly coming to meetings. But he's inviting us out of those solutions and to him. Well, what does that look like? Could it be that as you, as I, begin to feel the pressure, different moments of pressure, tension, frustration during the day that we would simply step away from our desk, get off the sofa, step away from the dining room table, turn our gaze to a very present Jesus, lift up whatever it is that we're wrestling through, and then lay it down before his feet entrusting it entirely to him, asking him to take all of the weight, all of the responsibility, reminding him that we're dust, from dust we were made and dust will return, reminding him that his word teaches us that we can do nothing on our own. What would happen? What would be the trajectory change that would occur? If we just considered allowing God to build in us a regular pattern, a habit of turning to him with all of these things, entrusting them to his care, I'll tell you the trajectory change that would occur. One year from now, even one month from now, our lives would be radically different much more peaceful, at rest, knowing that it's all God's responsibility. Our ministries would be different. Our families, our core relationships would be different. Much more full of God, much more full of rest, much more free of the tension, stress, and panic that we regularly experience in life. Here's the second piece that's important, a key aspect of leaving chaos and entering into the presence of the true Jesus. It's found actually in the next few words of this passage. The passage again reads, Come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden. Do you see who it's addressed to? The invitation of Jesus is to those of us who are wearied and heavy yoked as a result of living according to our own ability, what the scripture calls living the unaided life or the independent life. Now, on any given day at my house, we have UPS trucks, Amazon trucks, <laughs> dropping something off a couple times a week at least, if not every day. We have subscribe and save stuff with Amazon. We have school supplies showing up. I have books that I'm buying showing up. It's almost as if with this passage, Jesus is suggesting not only that that we know who's being invited, but that we would admit it. It's almost as if the UPS driver, after knocking on the door with his electronic device in hand, asks the question, this pass- package is addressed to those who are weary and heavy laden. Is that you? He gives good eye contact, and you have the opportunity to look at him square in the eyes and to admit it. And see, that's the problem, isn't it? In the world that we live in, especially if you're a senior Christian leader in an organization where expected to have all our ducks lined up, all our I's dotted and T's crossed, that followability only comes as a result of living a perfect, uh, faultless life. No room for, no margin for big mistakes and just being human. And yet Jesus in this moment would have us begin to escape our chaos by coming to him and then number two, by admitting that what we've tried in the past, what we've done in past seasons to try to fix chaos has done nothing other than leave us weary and heavy laden. It hasn't worked. In fact, that's the heart of the second step out. Admitting that what we've done has not worked. Do you see how that would flow effortlessly into your prayers as you come to him? Admitting that you've tried everything under the sun (laughs) and it's left you weary and heavy laden. You're left without options as you bow before the throne of God. We have time just for one more step today. And that is a step that's related to Jesus's teaching in this passage regarding the light yoke. Do you see it? That Jesus isn't just offering you a light yoke, like he carries the load. You get the light yoke. Kind of like what we would have imagined, what I thought this passage was was talking about years ago, where I just saw the yoke, like a yoke of oxen. That if I've got the strong guy, Jesus, in one side, my gosh, he's going to carry me along even when I'm just dragging feet. He's going to cause my side, my work to be light because he takes it all on his shoulders. But you see, that's not what this passage is saying at all. 
He's offering us a light yoke, but if you look at the passage, the light yoke that he's offering is his yoke. The yoke that Jesus wore in life was a light yoke, and he was offering that experience of life, his experience of life, to us. Do you know in Jesus' day, uh, rabbis, the yoke of the rabbi was the rabbi's method for living out Torah. Uh, his way of, of living a godly life. And let me tell you that many rabbis in Jesus' day would brag about the heavy yoke <laughs> that was attached to their way of attempting to live the godly life. I mean, fence upon fence upon fence, keeping rule upon rule upon rule so that they could live a legalistically pure and godly life. And yet Jesus, the reformer that he was, spoke a very different message. He said, come to me and learn about a life that is filled with a light yoke. Now, the question is, how could that be? I mean, think about, just for a moment, Jesus' life and ministry, what he was called to be and do. Well, let's just start with the beginning. He was called to live a life that had not one sin, no sinful thoughts, no sinful actions. I mean, that it's, maybe it's different for you, but for me, that feels like a heavy yoke. Number two, he had to perfectly fulfill over 400 prophecies from the Old Testament alone. Perfectly fulfilled in their perfect timing. That feels like a heavy yoke. Number three, he had to choose the men that would ultimately lay the foundation for a global movement called Christianity. I mean, even choose the one who would betray him. That feels like a lot of responsibility to me. <laughs> and finally, if that's not enough, Jesus was looking forward uh, ahead to the day when he would be wrongly accused. That the John 1, creator of all the universe would have his beard plucked out. He'd be spit upon, wrongly accused, and then impaled, nails through his hands and feet on a plank, on a cross. He would then accept the sin and wrongdoing of all mankind, throughout all history, into his body as his own. And then he would die out of fellowship with his father. My goodness. It's no wonder he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his betrayal. So the question for us today is how could that yoke be light. Well, Jesus in numerous places in the New Testament helps us understand and answer that question. John 5.19 is a place I love to go 
to explain Jesus' light yoke. John 5.19 says this. It's Jesus speaking. He says, oh, by the way, I just want you to know that the Son of Man can do nothing on his own. Nothing. He, for all intents and purposes, was saying, I have nothing to bring to the table. If I'm to live the life the Father has called me to live, it requires me to do nothing on my own. I mean, we all hold to some basic theological principles regarding Jesus. The one that is important for us to address right now is the hypostatic union, that we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It wasn't that he laid aside his divinity to become a man. He lived in both worlds simultaneously, two natures, divine and human, at the same time. The secret, though, to the light yoke is that Jesus chose to surrender himself entirely to the power, the plan, the promises of the Father. He knew that the ransom that needed to be offered for our salvation needed to come through his humanity. He knew that the only way that that could occur is being in complete surrendered fellowship with his Father. It's the very thing that he calls me and you to also experience. In fact, I want to pray right now, could we? We have so much more to experience together. We're just going to need to do it next time we get together. God, we come before you. And Jesus, it's amazing that we're actually able to speak with you, not just about you, but to you. And that it's you, Jesus, that has come and Ephesians 3 decided to reign in our hearts through faith. And you come with all your past experience, all the wrestling, as the scripture says, loud prayers and weeping and travailing that you offered as a holy sacrifice before your Father as you lived your life on earth. We come before you, Jesus, and ask for you to grant us, by your grace, the power to come to you, the power to admit that our independent living has done nothing but cause us to be wearied and heavy laden. just hasn't worked, Lord. And finally, to admit before you our total inability to do this life on our own. God, I just can feel it deep in my soul right now. A deep peace. And we as a community just honestly admit our absolute dependence on you. Would you draw near now? 
would you come and fill us with your grace? Would you give us the power to live out these simple steps, delivering us from our chaos and helping us begin to experience your presence? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.